This is the hiring brief. In the world of tech, there are very few people that have the experience of building, scaling, and running high-performing tech teams. Javier Coca, our guest today, is one of them. He has built multinational teams from scratch multiple times and has taken them to maximum performance. His background as a former software engineer has given him the advantage of understanding the complexities of the position and the technical implications necessary to lead a team to success. As a country manager for a leading tech company, Javier Coca shared his insights and advice on building engineering teams from the ground up in this interview with Jesus Lopez, CMO and co-founder at Coderslink. Let's listen. So welcome everybody. Uh, today, uh, I have the great pleasure of having Javier Coca with me. We're going to talk a little bit about engineering management. We're going to talk in depth about how to, to build a team, you know, how to think about building teams from zero all the way to you know, the initial steps and then expanding. Uh, Javier has a lot of experience in building teams. He's built teams for, I think it's about six years or more. He'll probably tell us a little bit more about that in, in a second. And it's going to be a great conversation. I'm very excited about this. Uh, I know we've had some conversations before, Javier and I, and, and there have been very fruitful conversations. So I'm very excited about this. And we'll just dive into that. So Javier, thank you for for being here. And you know, can you tell us a little bit about you so so everyone can understand you know about you and your your background? Sure. Thanks for the intro, Jesus. Uh, happy to be here. Uh, yeah. Well, my background. Uh, I'm a software engineer, uh, former software engineer. I'm no longer developing any code. Uh, I, I I did that for a little over ten years. Uh, my background is engineer, electronics engineering, but I did some uh, grad studies that helped me hone my skills into software development. That actually helped me uh, do the transition to uh, to a software development role, software engineer per se, because uh, my studies were a little bit on the lower level uh, programming layer. Um, after 10 years or so, uh, one day I was, uh, completely tired of doing coding and was, uh, approached by, uh, by a CEO and friend, uh, that needed some help with the operations, uh, operating and managing, a, a, an engineering team. I, at that time I had already been leading a team, very small team, three or four people only as a leader that I really enjoyed the part of the mentoring and, and, and pulling people over and, and looking after them. I was really, really excited about that. Uh, so I immediately jumped into the, into the opportunity. And from there, I started uh, managing teams. Uh, as, as mentioned before, almost every, every single team that I have managed has started as a small software engineering team. Uh, from there, most of the time, they, they, they tend to grow either into multiple software uh, engineering teams or different brands and flavors of, of other teams, usually support teams around engineering. Uh, people like technical writers or PMs, project managers, product owners, uh, but they usually are, the ratio is usually like 10, eight to one. I, for every eight engineers, you have one or two project managers. Uh, so the vast majority of the time is still very embedded with the uh, development of the products, but there is a lot of human factor that actually comes uh, with managing different uh, profiles. And uh, thankfully, I have the opportunity to uh, to move into a bigger role that it's now the general manager, that it's actually overseeing all the different 
um, groups, not only the technical or the engineering related groups, uh, also human resources, recruiting, uh, something extremely different like marketing and um, customer service as well. So that has been a lot of, uh, it's, it's very enriching. It, it has been very challenging at times, but also has, has helped me develop a lot of different skills that I that I know I liked, but I know that I that I need to work on. So it has been uh, uh, very helpful in doing so. That's awesome. That's awesome. So you, and it's amazing that you've been part of all the process, right? So, you know, developing software products and, and, and moving from engineering uh, into engineering management and then to operations management and then to general management. So it's been, mm-hmm. it's pretty awesome that you have, uh, you, you know, these different perspectives and uh, that on the long run, they pay out because you not only come from the, the top down approach, but you come from the bottom up approach as well. So that's, that's, that's pretty, it's pretty refreshing. And I think it's pretty insightful as well. And how big of a team do you currently manage? Right now, it's a fairly small team. Uh, I think, well, it's not fairly small. I think it's a perfect ratio. I believe that the manager shouldn't have more than 12 people. Uh, eight to 12 people, I think it's the best, uh, the, the best amount of people where you can invest time on each one of them without uh, any hesitations and, and really paying attention to, to their needs. Uh, so right now I have uh, four direct reports that are individual contributors. Uh, they're just operations people, this finance person, uh, recruiting person, uh, human resources, office management. And um, I'm currently managing the marketing team that has three different uh, managers. Well, some of them are on, on development to become managers. Um, that is graphic design, uh, digital marketing, and uh, mock-ups. That's kind of related to, to uh, graphic design. And on the dotted line part, I, I help uh, managing the software engineers managers. Uh, these are not my direct reports, uh, but there's a lot of things that engineers do need. And given the position and, and, and the resourcefulness of my role, uh, they tend to come to me actually even before going to their proper manager. But it's uh, located in San Francisco, so a lot of things actually are resolved locally before actually bringing them to their attention to their manager. Uh, some of them are uh, Mexican-related labor laws that it will take us more just to explain what's going on and how we're going to do, uh, other than executing and then just uh, going going back to, to San Francisco and explaining what actually happened and why we did what we had to do. Um, so it's, it's just a matter of strategy. Uh, the, the software engineers still report to a director of engineers, and the older metrics come from 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 that specific um, branch. Uh, but uh, there's a lot of things that actually intercalate and permeates to, to to my to my arena. That's and that's that's really that's really interesting to see how you know engineers still turn to you know to the site's general manager as well for for guidance. And I think that that. That is part as well of the importance of having a local as well general manager if you have an international operations, for example. Definitely. And I think most of the time it's because uh, the the office usually starts with a couple of engineers. Uh, those engineers, we try to develop, men, to develop them into uh, bigger roles like leaders or managers. Uh, so the relationship and, and the trust and the confidence that they, they, they develop through the years or through the months uh, still there, right? Even though they, they already 
have evolved into a manager position and I have uh, no longer a direct uh, working relationship with them, there's still a lot of trust. Uh, me and them have built and have made decisions uh, about important things that either didn't work or work perfectly that has brought us together that makes it easier just to continue with that relationship more in a mentoring kind of situation uh, me they asking me for advice on how to approach things um, and with, with my experience I can tell them like well, you, you should you should go and talk to your manager or you should go and talk to, to human resources or just just have a one-on-one a sincere one-on-one with a person that's having this problem so uh, my approach is usually a little bit more on let me advise you what you can do uh, because you're, a, you're not a direct reportee. I can advise you. I can give you my, my point of view. At the, at the end of the day, you are the manager and you have to make your own decisions. Sometimes we have to let them do their own mistakes and uh, so, so they can grow. Uh, but obviously all the time giving them the, the, the best advice possible so that they can make a better decision. Awesome. Yes. And so, so a kind of a, a mentor role, if you will, mm-hmm. right? Okay. And is this the biggest team you've managed in your in your experience? No, I have the opportunity to manage a much bigger team. Uh, as I told you before, uh, I was the the first person to open an office in GDL, uh, and I had the opportunity to start recruiting almost every single person on that office. Uh, only the only the recruiter was uh, uh, hired before myself, and. Uh, between her and I, we start building the team. Uh, I was the only manager until we were somewhere around forty-five people. Extremely complicated because there's 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 not enough hours uh, in the day that you can you can have to have proper one-on-ones with everybody. Um, some other, some people require a lot of uh, guidance. Uh, we were we were focusing a little bit more on uh, senior profiles. But even even the most uh, seasoned engineer, from time to time, they require to have some um, guidance or, or, or at least someone to listen to them and bounce ideas. Uh, so everybody requires to have their own time with the manager so they can speak about problems, uh, bring to my attention some impediments, blockers, whatever they they require from from me to to actually to be able to properly execute whatever they have to. Uh, so it was a combination of mainly software engineers. I would say at least half of them were software engineers, uh, but the other half uh, were technical writers, project managers. The recruiting team was also growing. Uh, operations, uh, we had an accountant and um, uh, office manager as well, plus uh, some here and there contractors that help us with different things like facilities and stuff like that. Nice. And and for for clarification purposes, GDL is Guadalajara, yeah, for sorry, Guadalajara, yeah. Mexico. Yeah, uh, so uh, it's and and mean Guadalajara is growing a lot, so it makes sense that you know big teams are 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 making headway down there. So so that's it's pretty amazing. You know, forty people can just can get out of hand real quick. I mean, I was thinking, I was doing the math. You know, if you, if you got forty one on ones and you do one, you know, you you have to do like more than twice, more than two or three every single day. So, I mean, that's a lot of time. It's a lot of time commitment to, to really invest and really give them the actual feedback that's needed, you know, like, like you were properly saying, and given that teams 
they require not teams but particular people require different dynamics right which is what you were saying so so it's very interesting uh and i definitely agree with that the difficulty of of, of expanding teams is that you know the time that the manager can really invest mm-hmm. in making sure that their team is not blocked it's autonomous and can move forward mm-hmm. so so definitely agree on that and, and I'll, i'm going to jump into into more of a uh, causational. I don't even, I don't, I don't think I said that right, but well, it's a question and, and sort of like where it's coming from. Mm-hmm. What made you get into engineering? You know, going back into those early mm-hmm. days where you started into engineering and then moved in, in, into this general manager position. Sure. My, my, my family is, uh, it's, it's a long life family of engineers. Uh, my, my father, uncles, uh, cousins, everybody went into engineering. Uh, I don't know the particular reason why they did. I know that I grew with that on mind and it was very simple for me. The only, the, the, the only decision I had to make was what kind of engineering I would like to pursue. Uh, I've always been the person, the type of person that gets in trouble be, because they uh, take apart things. Uh, one time I remember my father, my, my father came with a brand new television. Uh, one of those that were not as big as they used to be. And uh, I just took out my Swiss knife and started taking it apart. Uh, obviously, when I put it back together, it didn't work. I got into big trouble because of that. But that's usually the, the type of person that, I, that I've always been. Uh, just just eager to know how things actually work beneath the, the, the curtains. Um, so electri- electronics engineering made a lot of sense. Um, there I had a lot of... Uh, hands-on experience on how to do things, how to build stuff, and a lot of uh, knowledge on lower-level programming, like uh, assembly language and uh, a machine language. That is very, very archaic, uh, but it forces you to, with a, a very limited set of uh, instructions, to, to be able to program something. So the, the evolution to... Uh, Computer science, computer engineering was very simple. I already know and I already liked to program things to make things actually happen. The hello world, everybody's excited the first time we do it in any any specific language. Uh, that's very exciting for me. So the, the decision to move into engineering was a family tradition, but going into uh, computer science or computer engineering was more of, uh, of my liking to know how things actually work uh, and not just staying and some, some people like to go and um, play with things. I like to dive in and, uh, and I really understand what's going on, like really taking apart things and then putting back together. Uh, I found that with software is so much easier than with hardware. Uh, hardware is almost impossible to put it back together. Um, yeah. <laughs> now software, I, I, I do have my fair share of uh, bugs that I have created just by exploring different uh, codes or, or libraries that were not in, uh, developed by, by me or by my group, but that's that's a different story. <laughs> that's that's pretty cool, and, and I think you know from from what I've from what I've learned in and you know talking a lot to engineers is even though you start in one place, you can move to others because it's not what I don't think it's a theory that makes the engineer, but rather the way of thinking. You know, mm-hmm. you develop that you know that problem solving you know, structured way of, of, of tackling problems that can be applied in any of those, uh, you know, engineering applications. And mm-hmm. I think that's, that's one of the things that, you know, in my personal opinion, uh, a lot of 
a lot of careers out there should include, um, you know, more of that, more of that structural approach, but, mm-hmm. but yeah, but that's me diving into, into education, which I don't think <laughs> I should go, I should go down there. A, f- a former manager told me, uh, a good engineer is, uh, is someone that is excited by tra- brain teasers. Anything that actually pokes your mind and say like, damn, I don't know how to do this, but I know my way around it. So I'm going to figure it out. Okay. He told me that that's, that's the, that's a good engineer. That that person is going to find either a book or a tool or a person that's going to help him resolve what he needs to be resolving. And, and that's just engineering. That's the way to, of approaching. I agree. And, and, you know, from jumping a little bit into, into another topic, you've, you've yeah. worked with, you mentioned uh, San Francisco, California, you've mentioned, you know, a, a little bit of, of, of international teams. So have you, have you been working remotely and for how long have you been working remotely? So, um, I usually say that I work remotely, although I don't think it, uh, it is per se a remote working. So all the leaders that I have worked with, all the companies that I help open, they're usually stationed and, and upper management's usually uh, located in, in the Bay Area, San Francisco or somewhere around there. Uh, so and my commitments have always been the same. I go with them, I understand what they want to do, and I come back to either uh, Guadalajara, Mexico, Mexico City, or even Vietnam, uh, Ho Chi Minh, I open an office in there. So my work, I, I do work to open an office, but my OKRs and all of the objectives are given by a remote uh, office, by a person that is not sitting next to me. It's usually geographically uh, distributed. Uh, most of the time, and this has happened, uh, a lot of the San Francisco-based startups or companies uh, have someone in Delaware because they usually incorporate in Delaware. Yeah. So either the financial team or HR or someone in there they have in, in Delaware. Uh, some other part of the team is in San Francisco. So it's two different time zones as well, uh, plus our own time zone. So I'm very used to work remotely. Uh, most of the time, uh, I understand the hurdles of having to uh, be in a different time zone, waking up at a certain time, being accessible in some other period of time, and then being able to respond in another time. Um, so I've, I've been doing this for for the past six years, uh, although I do get to go to an office. So once once most of the of the objectives are are are, are completed, uh, usually involved to have an office to have people going to the office and uh, being able to uh, to convince them that the best environment will be in the office. Although remote working is implicit. Uh, at the time that you give someone a laptop instead of a desktop. Yeah, and it sounds like you've done sort of like the hybrid, right? So you you mm. have certain remote communications with sort of like the, the HQ in the US, uh, but mm. you also have in person. And and of course that's part of, of your of of what your job entails, right? Building that actual office. Mm-hmm. And exactly. so 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 definitely I can see that you know the hybrid approach to both things. Now do developers in your team that or the teams that you you have managed in the past work remotely or or do they have also the 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 hybrid approach where they get to work a couple of days in the office, a couple of days at home, or is it hundred percent in the office or is it varied? It's it's a combination of everything that you just mentioned. Uh, so most of the time it's a hybrid approach. A uh, lot of very talented software engineers, they do like to, to work from home 
at least a couple of days a week. Uh, so that, that will be most of the most of the people I have managed. But I have managed people on the other side of the world. Uh, when I opened the, the, the Vietnam office, I was still managing the, the team that was in GDL. And when I left uh, Vietnam, I was still managing the team that I left in, in Vietnam. So uh, there's there's still a lot of that. That's those are teams that are 100 uh, percent remote because I, I I was not even in the same time zone. I was actually 12 hours ahead of whatever they were doing. So it was complicated for for us to have a sync. It was 6 7 p.m. for them. It was 6 7 a.m. for me. Uh, and, and at that moment, we have to be able to resolve things as otherwise it will take another 24 hours just to get some, get the same people in the, in the phone, in the conversation. That's, that's a waste of time. So, uh, we usually try to do it 12 hours. So at, at least only one day goes around without having proper communication. Um, and the, the third approach is, uh, someone that I have never met. So we have done that. There, I have worked with per people that, uh, we have right now a couple of guys in Tijuana, uh, Tijuana, Mexico, that they have, because of COVID, they have not even able to, to fly over to have a in-person onboarding, two-week onboarding, or even to have uh, on-site. We usually, I usually try to have on-sites as part of the recruiting process. Everything is online until the on-site that is usually in person. Uh, for the last, I would say, out of the last 10 people, at least six we have not met actually in person. Uh, it has been 100% remote. Um, we have been able to engage very, very nicely. I think uh, there is a lot of factors that come come and go in here. But yes, I have been able to uh, to hire someone and to to work with someone 100% remotely without without even meeting them, not even once in person. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, and and Corsi has been from from the get-go we've been 100 remote so i know that feeling of, of hiring someone and then the curious thing about it is you you formulate so so many different ideas in your mind whenever you're meeting with someone over over zoom over like mm. hangouts or whatnot and like you start guessing their height and you start guessing you know their presence <laughs> uh, but it's it, it's very funny we have a, a yearly retreat and whenever one of one of the guys in my team showed up i'm like oh wow you're really tall. I was not expecting <laughs> that. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny. It's funny because you you get to meet them over 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 you know online mediums and and you work well, but you also start wondering those human factors as well. So mm-hmm. it's it's fun. It works, but yeah, it's, it's sort of, I think it's sort of like that secondary effect. <laughs> yeah. And and go ahead. No, 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 completely. I, I was I was just gonna compliment your what you were saying that. Uh, even if you don't want to start creating your own idea of things, right? Like, especially uh, when you're managing a team and they're engineers, some of my concerns are, do you have a proper uh, monitor, a chair, a keyboard? Things that actually are very, very minor, but usually help a lot. It's like having, most of them are usually asked to have dual monitors, uh, dual screens, because they're more effective at doing so. I'm more of a laptop person, but everybody's different. Uh, so every time that I speak with, with someone that's remote, like, is your chair comfortable enough? Is your keyboard a little bit ergonomic, you know? Because if you buy the Apple one that's flat and small and cramped, uh, people are, are not going to be as productive. So, or yeah, you get a carpal tunnel. 
Or would you rather just have an, a standing desk? Let's uh, let's let's see if we can mail you one of those uh, lifters, desk, desk lifters, or something, so you can actually stand and sit. So you start as you were saying, you start uh, imagining things, how the workspace of each person actually looks like, and how can you improve it. Uh, but then you start messing into something that you shouldn't be like it's personal space as well, right? Uh, it is his, he, he's working from home, but it's work is one thing, homes and other things. So, uh, the dynamics also in their mean trying to be too, uh, too accommodating. Sometimes I'm feeling that, I, that I'm, that I'm uh, reaching out too much. Yeah. And, and I, and I want to uh, take a little bit of a deeper dive into, into that remote work, mm. you know, topic. It's been, I think what I would say more than, more than five, maybe even 10 years that remote work has started to, to incorporate itself into everyday life. And mm-hmm. in my eyes, it all started with tech because tech is a natural evolution of that because you're in a computer, so you're online, it's easier, you work in code, you can push that code to the cloud. I mean, a lot of tools have started to, to be released that can help and even, you know, uh, approach that and give you that autonomy, right? So in your eyes, and in your opinion, what do you think we've evolved into this version of remote work or even remote work in that respect? I think there's a lot of factors involved here. Uh, the first one, was, as you were saying, technology. Uh, technology per se uh, has evolved to a point that we can actually communicate very effectively, sometimes even more effective than in person. Uh, when, when you use some asynchronous communication, you don't have to wait for the person to actually answer to you. You know that the, 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 the message is there, that that person is actually going to respond to you whenever they have some time. And you can move on and, and start working on something different. So technology definitely has been one of the bigger enablers. enablers. Um, remote work, also I think economics. Uh, most of the things that, that happen in the world are because of economics. There's a lot of savings involved in uh, remote working. Uh, savings in time, uh, just because you don't have to commute from one place to the other, or you don't have to relocate to a different city or even to a different country and all the hurdles that actually uh, you have to go through to, to do so. Uh, visas or if you are a family person like myself, uh, relocating children and, and wife and house and, and, and just giving up your, your current life and embracing a new one. Could be a better one, could be the same one, but it's just embracing change, right? Um, also, uh, I think in the, in the latter part of the years that you were talking about, I think two things actually got better. Uh, back in the day, career paths were very stiff. They were not flexible enough. People had to either become a manager to, to, to aspire to, to earn enough money to have whatever people usually uh, invest their money on. Uh, right now, there's a very, very, uh, there's a lot of opportunities to develop your career into any, any uh, arena you want to develop it into. Uh, just for engineers, you can go into the distinguished engineer, the architect parts, the manager parts. There's a lot of different DevOps parts. There's a lot of different uh, career paths that you can choose that are going to be well developed, you're going to learn, you're going to grow, and you're also going to earn more money. Uh, 
as, as I was telling you, back in the day, there were only one or two options. So you didn't have to give up doing code, doing what you like, and getting to politics because people management usually require you to be a little bit more political. Or you can stay being uh, just another engineer with very, very limited uh, opportunities uh, ahead of you. I also think that talents right now, uh, remote work has enabled a lot of people that doesn't follow the traditional way of learning. Uh, there's a huge amount of talent that has developed a talent just because they love what they're doing. And they have, they have had a computer in front of them since they were kids and they have put it together and, and grow it and taken it apart. So they have developed this um, working knowledge of programming that didn't require uh, for them to move to another uh, state, go to college, earn a degree. Uh, that's the traditional way. That, I, that I, I also have found incredible engineers going that route, but I also have found incredible software developers that doesn't have a, a degree. They are high school dropouts because they were already doing a lot of things just by working on their computers and they have developed, they have evolved into being extremely well developers. So that, that access to talent has also help us or enable us to, to do remote work. Because right now, you don't need to go to a new university to, 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 pop, to invite people over to your company. You can find them wherever you want, wherever they are. And they don't have to actually go into, into your, to your ecosystem to be effective and be able to work with you. Definitely, I agree. I agree. And there's this financial term. I don't know if it's correct in using it, but it's sort of like commoditizing the talent, uh, the talent school. So it, it just expands the reach that a company can have for specialized talent with over 250 or more programming languages and, you know, specifically 10 different frameworks for each language, finding that exact talent that you need to build that exact software that you're trying to build with that exact package, it's more and more, it's harder every time. So, so I guess it's, it's also, I think it's part of that, that need that the whole ecosystem is asking us to do. And I think we were talking last the other day that, you know, businesses are wise and they tell you when it's time to move and when it's time mm -hmm. to grow, when it's time to, 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 to contract. And I think the environment, the tech ecosystem and the industry, industry is wise as well. It starts mm -hmm. telling us when it's time to look outward, when it's time to, you know, to, to focus on specific things. So I think it's, uh, I really like your, your answer because it, it just touches a lot on the different issues that, that, you know, I believe as well. And, and, you know, my expectation about remote work is that it'll with, with, you know, the COVID-19 crisis and everyone's just sort of like jumping remote from one second to, to the next. I think more companies are, and, and more of the archive companies are saying, okay, hey, it works. It's not only a tech thing. It's not only something that mm -hmm. was dreamed or something that was asked by lazy employees, whatever they put it. Mm -hmm. But so I think it, it, it's only, it's only going to get better. If you will, exactly. what are, what are your thoughts on that? What are your expectations? Where do you see remote work growing? Uh, definitely, as, as you were saying, uh, remote work is going to grow. Uh, it's here to stay. Uh, some of the companies that were reluctant into embracing it were forced to actually taste it and to have that there was no other way of them continue working. And um, I was just <laughs> I was reading a, a little post in LinkedIn that said uh, they ask. Uh, the director of engineering, 
who forced, who was the power sponsor for tech innovation? It was your CTO, was it the CEO or was COVID? Because yeah, <laughs> most of the companies were forced to actually start technological innovation because of COVID. And um, tech companies that were already doing or were allowing remote working or were looking for remote working, now it's going to be a, a, a established uh, process and policy. They're gonna they're gonna ask you like where do you want to work? There is a space in the office, but you can, you're 100% um, able to work remotely, and here is your kit. I think that's the only difference. Right now, we need to develop. Uh, every company is gonna develop in an onboarding process on how to uh, bring people on board, either in person or remote. I see that tech companies at least 20 25% of their workforce is gonna work remotely. Uh, most of the product development companies that are 100% just software, at least 50% are going to continue working remotely. Uh, right now, I don't see, uh, there is no compelling reason for anyone to bring people to the office, especially if the talent is not accessible. Uh, the example is in the Bay Area, there's a lot of, a huge amount of engineers, a lot of talent in there but they're extremely expensive. So even when you have access to those to, to that type of talent, you are not able to bring them on board. So it doesn't really matter if they're sitting next to you, they're as far as anyone in the other side of the world. Uh, usually uh, it's more convenient if you're in the same time zone, two, or two, two, two plus hours ahead or, or before, but uh, it's, it's just easier. But yeah, definitely, they, it, it, it does help. Uh, I see that the, in the near future, industries that are, were not uh, as eager to have people working remotely are going to start working remotely. A lot of uh, in-person paperwork is also evolving thanks to DocuSign and, and, and companies of that sort. Uh, you no longer actually need to go to, to see a lawyer in person, right? Or, or a doctor in person. You can do and sign papers and, and have a, a, a a health check appointment uh, virtually. And that's going to, that's definitely going to, it's happening already and, and it's here to stay. I don't see doctors that are, that are currently using uh, electronic means to communicate with patients going back to the traditional way. If it's effective, it's effective, right? Sometimes you do need to see the person. Uh, I, had a, I had a friend that was uh, telling us about remote operation that you actually just control the, 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 the robot that is actually doing the surgery on the person. Uh, I think that's even evolving a little bit beyond just a, a, a webcam, right? But it is, it is, it is the future and this is where all, all the ecosystem is moving. Some, uh, some industries are going to take longer manufacturing. It's a little bit complicated for, for someone to manufacture something remotely, but it can be enabled through through robots or computers, but it's going to take longer. Uh, but for us, uh, tech companies, the ones that are already um, doing remote work, most of the employees are going to stay geographically dispersed. Uh, the ones that were a little bit reluctant, now they're going to be fully embraced and they're going to allow at least 25% of their workforce to, to work from a different location. Exciting times ahead of us. I think it's I, I agree with everything you said. And, and, you know, just adding to that, we've heard voices from, you know, big tech companies, Facebook, you got Coinbase, you got Shopify, you got Appalachian saying that either they're going to go full remote or they're going to look to go full remote. So it's 
I think it's exciting times for for everyone. Companies looking to, to, to continue growing, you know, talent looking for the new opportunity, uh, you know, talent that has have hasn't been, you know, in the past able to be in those opportunities. So I think it's exciting times. And but yeah, but I, I want to switch gears, you know, moving from from remote. I, I want to dive deep into into your thoughts about management. Mm-hmm. My eyes. In my eyes, management is a very misunderstood position from the outside. I think once you're in, you you understand it very well. But from the outside in, it's 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 very misunderstood. And while there's a lot of books about management, there's I think everyone sort of like just gets you know crafts their way and and starts you know putting their way together as they go as they start learning. Um, so in your eyes, and let's start let's start with the basics. In your eyes, what's the role of a manager? Uh, for me, a manager needs to be an enabler. That's that's the word that actually uh, uh, summarizes what I think a manager should be. A manager is is a person is a power sponsor inside of the company of that specific team. Is the one that knows the the, the strengths and weaknesses of the team. Uh, is the person that actually can help um, remove blockers, uh, resolve impediments and isolate people from any distraction. There are distractions of uh, of very simple sorts, like, you know, my paycheck hasn't arrived, and that's a big distraction for any employee, special engineers, because yeah. they usually tend to uh, tend to live on a day-by-day basis. And um, Or distractions where there's a personal problem, and they, they really don't know how to approach that. It could be a health issue. It could, could be just a, a personal thing about... I'm moving out, uh, I'm moving in with my girlfriend. And that's stressful. I don't know if I'm doing the right thing, blah, blah. This is where the manager needs to be uh, mature enough to say, you know what, this is something distracting. Take time. You have you have uh, PTOs. Uh, take, take a couple of days, resolve any issue. And whenever you are, your, your mind is completely uh, clear, you can come back and continue being effective. You don't require... So that's why I say it's an enabler. We have to enable them to take the better decisions for them that actually is going to result on better decisions for the company. We don't want to have someone sitting down just biting their nails and thinking about what's going to happen. It's better for them to have some time go resolve whatever they need to resolve and then come back. They're going to come back more focused and more thankful because they were able to resolve something that they they thought was completely not impossible, but that, that was lingering in their minds and that they were getting distracted. So yeah, in, in a single world, that's, that's, that's the role of the manager. There are certain different roles that are human resources related or, 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 or operational related, but mainly the gist of the, of the role is to enable people to, to, to do their work uh, without all of the external factors affecting their their work. That's 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 really good approach and seeing things and and I, I I'd complement that with say with seeing and understanding understanding that different talents and and understanding ways to enable them as well, right? Mm-hmm. You know, based on the talent, they need different things. So it's sort of like also understanding having that 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 people skill and that human approach and, and warm approach of saying okay. I understand who they are. I understand their strengths. I understand their fears, and and understand how to approach them. How to how to, how to ensure that they can perform. 
So mm-hmm. I think it's it's a very it's a very unique dance with with every single person that is you know reporting to you. Uh, do you have any approach to management? Do you have a set of principles that you follow? Most of the times, it's, it's the same as, as we were just uh, talking about. I like to be a, a manager that is walking the walk with them. Like it's actually uh, doing things next to each other so that they see that this is not a, a reportee manager relationship. This is a team. This is a team. And uh, some people in the team have some expertise and some other people's, some other person in the team has different skills. Uh, we as a team are the ones that are going to get things done. My role or the role of the manager will be, as, as I was telling, to enable them to do or to achieve what they need to achieve. If it's, uh, if it's achieving better skills, through education or through mentoring or through peer programming, through any techniques, the, the manager has to enable it. Um, if it's just uh, finding finding the, the, the correct time for delivering uh, a product, uh, a story, a feature, it's also part of management to recognize what complexity actually that has and being able to negotiate uh, on behalf of the team on when something's gonna get done in in the better way, right? Everybody can can can, can finish up something simple, uh, but not everybody can finish it up finish it up correctly. And I usually try to do it in the in the correct way. So yes, uh, it's for me the approach is being a leader. Uh, follow the principles that uh, the team usually is the one that's doing the work. Is the one that it's uh, that, that's putting uh, the effort. Not that the manager doesn't do any effort, but sometimes you do have to roll your sleeves and get into code and get things done. But most of the times, your your the approach is to enable them to to see that they have everything that needs to be done so that they can do things better in a better way. Uh, most of the time, I can tell you. Sometimes I've, I've stayed very late with a team, and the only thing that I'm doing is bringing them pizza and beer and coffee, and just enabling them to finish what they need to do. Obviously, there's going to happen something like, "Oh, we need uh, more uh, processing power in, in our AWS processor." So yeah, go. Here's my, my card. Just. Uh, buy another core or put some more memory or expand whatever, replicate the database. Those decisions are very simple to make. Uh, most of the time, uh, those are uh, manager-related decisions. But yeah, at the end of the day, still just enabling the team to be able to do their work. I can appreciate that, definitely. It was part of of ensuring that you know stuff gets on as well, which is mm-hmm. hard as well because in remote work and remote teams, there's... Well, I guess in, in teams, not specifically remote, but there's that, you know, that, that need to completely move and saying, okay, let's 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 get up to that, let's get up to that objective, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And do you think there's a there's a difference between managing remote team versus managing in-person teams? I think what I have found to be the most complicated part is to see when you are in person, you do see how much someone struggles or how much someone works to get into something. Uh, if you're doing it remotely, sometimes 
you you only see the 30 minutes that you have or, or the 15 minutes in the in scrum meeting that you have for to, to see what people are complaining about uh, but once you uh, you're no longer in front of the camera uh, that's the engineer and, and his own problems so unless this person is extremely open in communication that engineers per se they, they're not very open in communication uh, it's you struggle on seeing when they are suffering about something. Uh, so there has to be, you have to build a very good relationship with all of them so that they can actually open up whenever you ask them, is everything all right? Because then they will, they will pour everything into you and say like, no, 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 this is wrong. I'm not, I'm falling behind here, blah, blah, blah. Until you ask them. Uh, most of the time they, they will not bring forward because they, and this is something that I thought it was only for Mexicans, but I've seen it across the world, uh, people are very proud of themselves. They don't, they, don't like to re they don't like to show something that could be perceived as weakness. So they'll rather exhaust everything else, uh, Google it, search it, ask about it, before actually bringing it as, as a weakness. And that's something that if it's in person, you can see it, right? You can see that this person is sweating or, or, or with his hands and on the head and just uh, pounding on, on, on the keyboard. If that's actually happening remote, you don't see it unless they share it with you. So that's one of the things that I have found much more uh, challenging to, to actually to realize that that's happening. Um, and the ripple effect of not being able to recognize that uh, the person can, can, can really get burned down, uh, can really get frustrated, his energy level can, can, can drop. So you can, you, so as a manager, you, you will see those signs afterwards, after the fact, right? Like when someone is not completing, when someone consistently completes uh, stories and suddenly start, starts dropping one or two stories, one time it's okay, two times something's wrong, three times definitely something's happening. But until the signs are there, you realize that. Uh, in person, most of the times you can see that someone is struggling. Uh, the other parts also, um, I think permeating the, the, the culture is a little bit more difficult. Um, most of the time with in-person people, uh, I, this is something I do myself. Every time that I leave the office, I go and ask everybody, do you need is everything okay with you? Do you need something from me? Uh, every single person. Sometimes, obviously, there's chit-chat in between, but the, the message is the same. Do you need something from me? And that actually permeates them. So whenever someone leaves the company, leaves the office for the day, they, they go around to their teams and ask, I'm leaving, do you need something from me? And usually there's, oh yeah, before you leave, just uh, can you help me out with this function that you wrote? I don't really understand. Uh, what the wrapper around it is doing, something like that. Or if, it, if it's a QA engineer, oh yeah, uh, I was clicking in here, and it was supposed. The story says that it has to do this, but I agree with you. It has to. It looks better in this way. So, do you mind if I change? There's always something that they can do just by someone approaching. Is there anything that you need to? We have tried to do that uh, in our Slack channels. That that I, I see is not as effective as in person. You do ask, I'm leaving. Is there anything else? No, thank you. Good night. Uh, I really enjoy blah, blah, blah. But nobody really brings to your attention something that I have seen in person do bring into attention. And sometimes it's very simple things. 
But just because you're asking, they're just going to tell you like, yeah, yeah, of course, come come and help me with this addition. Something very simple. I like that. I like that, 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 hey, I'm leaving. Do you have any questions? Do you have any, you know, yeah, any doubts? I think that, that, that works a lot in, in helping folks also remember things. And, and now that you mentioned the remote, doing it through Slack, I can definitely see that happen because it's like you're, you're, you're doing your thing and someone just pops up a message and then you're like, oh, okay, well, yeah, have a good day. But mm-hmm. whenever you turn into that, you're like, oh, I, I forgot have. that I had to ask him. I should have asked him. And then you ask him and then it's lagging and then they don't, they don't respond. And it just starts mm-hmm. snowballing back. Uh, and I think Slack's a great tool. Uh, but yeah, there is a, something about that human interaction that you still can't replicate, mm-hmm. even though it's really close, but mm-hmm. still not quite there. And uh, as long as the team, if if the team was created with remote working in mind, it's easier because then there's a lot of little processes and protocols that are already in place that will. That the first time someone comes to a, to a team, and the manager says, "Okay, I'm leaving. Do you guys need anything?" And then everybody start pouring things in into the Slack, like, "Yeah, I need. You forgot to tell me this. I'm still waiting on that. Uh, I'm gonna shoot you an email about that." That new person is gonna say like, okay, so it's this, this, this is these are the mechanics, right? So I'm allowed to tell the manager, even if it's five to whatever hour, something that I need, and this guy is gonna deliver. So it's 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 not that it cannot be done; it just has to be embedded since the beginning of the process, so that everybody realizes that that's the way that the the, the, the team works or the company works. Yeah, building that habit. I, I, mm-hmm. I hear actually, I I agree with that as well. And one one thing that that's important on that on the on with with engineering teams and, and managing them, and we'll, we'll dive a little bit deeper into engineering teams in just a second. But I just want to get mm-hmm. this one this one last question in: How do you manage performance? Do you have? And I think performance is very big. It's, and you know, I don't want to keep harking on on the remote work, but in managing performance on site versus remote is a completely different animal. And and for me, it's always it's always very interesting to to hear from other managers, you know, the ways that they're they're doing that, because again, going back to what I mentioned about managers, there's just not one set way of doing it. There's just a bunch of ways you can do, and there's the, you know, there's the scorecard, and there's just a bunch of frameworks. But what's your take? How do you manage performance with with the teams? I've been very successful at uh, just following regular agile. Uh, somebody told me once, a Scrum master. Uh, told me like nobody does agile the way it should be done. Like there's like 17 guidelines and most of the people only do one or two. I can tell you, I do only three or four. Uh, I'm still waiting for 12 to actually bring somebody to the table. But what I do find is that having proper stories and allocating time based on engineers uh, bandwidth, it's very effective. Um, I'm very happy that we have also been able to incorporate different teams that have never worked on an agile environment, like graphic designers or marketing, to an agile-like methodology. They also put together, uh, leaders and managers put together the backlog of the stories that need to be accomplished. And it's basically almost every single company does that. It's the quarterly goals, it's the yearly goals that they just have to be tripled down to to a month and uh, if, if you're if, if the cadence of your of your scrum is every two weeks so it's only 
uh, into half a month. And there you have the stories that you want to accomplish. So it's very simple. It's not very simple, but it's, it's something that it's proven and it's the mechanics is, are very easy to digest. The day to day and actually getting into the story, that's a little bit more complicated, especially if there are a lot of stakeholders around. Uh, the, the amount of work that it's needed to put into the planning is as great as the, 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 the sprint itself. So, uh, it has to be done properly. Um, for example, I've also been able to, uh, incorporate, uh, roles that are a little bit more difficult to, uh, to predict their work. Uh, operations, for example. Uh, most of the time, uh, office managers, office coordinators, they are reactive people. They, they go and solve problems that they were not foreseeing a week or two weeks ago. So what we have done is, okay, we have a bigger scope of what we want to accomplish. And then we just have uh, weekly to-dos. So, okay, this week, because last week this and that happened, our higher priority, let's just bump it into this. It's very similar to, to, to Jira, to Agile right now that I'm thinking, because there's also there's always going to be stories that are going to be last minute incorporated and that's going to have bigger priority and, and that's going to do that different stories go back to the backlog. Same thing, but maybe not with all the Agile Scrum Master words. Uh, instead of saying that this is a story, this is just something you have to do, and this is the time frame, and this is the completion criteria, and this is how you tell that it's done or not done. So basically just putting clear objectives in front of people. Some of them need to have them written down. Uh, and some of us that doesn't really need to have them written down, it doesn't really bother us to have a clear understanding of what that sentence says. So everybody benefits from having a proper uh, backlog of stories or tasks or things to do and prioritization among the team, upper management leaders, the team itself, and knowing what you have to do and execute in order to get there. And also taking into account things like I have classes, I have uh, meetings, I have interviews, uh, I have two days of vacations, etc. So those are also taken into account. That per se, that's agile, right? You that that's one of the things that you take into account when you start planning for the next sprint. That it's a couple of weeks or a month. It's the same thing for 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 any other team. The only difference is that you don't tell that it's agile per se. Yeah, you don't call it that way, but it, it's still that way. It's still that and way. and yeah, I I can attest to using using agile in in other departments besides the, the technology department i learned about that in my brief stint as a sort of like a little bit of a tech manager but but then i saw the the usefulness of applying it everywhere else it just keeps you accountable keeps you in check keeps you moving mm-hmm. and and you know assuring that you're not you know waiting you know you're iterating so i i value that a lot and i think that to be able to 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 do it properly you have to add, you know, as well, going back to the remote work, going, doing, doing it properly in a remote setting, you know, clear communication uh, is very important. And having that, that clarity on the objective, that clarity on what's expected, what the process is, you know, what a success looks like, mm-hmm. when is that success, success expected to happen? So mm-hmm. I, I see that as a very, very important part of, of, 
of employing it, using it correctly, and then actually reaping the benefits. I wanna I wanna then now move into into the beefy part of the conversation, which is the building and engineering team best best practices. Yeah. Uh, from you know from what you told us and from what we've we've talked about today as well. You know, you've had all this experience in building small teams, building big teams, and building medium teams. So for for me, it's always curious. And, and this is something I think very personal. Like, how do you start? That's my one thing. There's a lot of folks that tell you, okay, yeah, this is how you do things when you're whenever you have a team. And you're like, okay, cool. But how do I get to that place? Yeah. And I think and I think you have the 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 <laughs> The actual insights on that, so I'm really excited about really getting to 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 learn about that. But so let's start. Let's start small. How do you start building a team from zero, from the ground? You just got to Alahara. You've got no one besides you. What's the first thing you do? Well, the first thing you have to do, in my point of view, is really understand the technology. Uh, really understand, dive into what you are, uh, what, what the product itself is about. If you're the CEO or the founder, you obviously have the working knowledge of what you're trying to, to bring people to, 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 to help you with. If it's just an idea of somebody else, you, then you have to embed yourself and really learn what they are, what the, they were trying to solve with that specific product and what technology is helping them get there. Once you or, or your colleague or your CTO, or whoever has that knowledge, then, uh, I would recommend start reaching out to small groups of tech leads. Everybody knows someone that is a good engineer somewhere. And good engineers always always love to hang out with good engineers. So you can invite them over to a coffee, to a little presentation. I have done, I would say, dozens of pizza, beer, tequila, tacos, night that is very informal, just sitting down, uh, drinking something, eating so, something that it's, it's, it's with a hand so you don't actually have to sit down and use forks, something dynamic. And then some CTO or, or yourself, the one that has the knowledge, start, hey, what do you think about a product that does this, this, and that? It's a sales pitch. It's, a, it's, like, it's an extended elevator pitch. What do you think about a, a product that does this, this, and that with this, this, and that uh, technology? These leaders are gonna poke holes in whatever you say because they are they are the tech leaders that you want to approach to bring to their attention something that could be something very interesting. Uh, they're gonna say like, no, this is not gonna work because A, B, or C, and no, 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 this has been done already by this other company or this other startup. Or yes, I had that idea, but didn't didn't actually mature because A, B, or C. You're gonna have a lot of insights, but they also you're, you're gonna plant in their minds something that is gonna grow. That is, maybe this is a big project. Maybe this is a good project. Uh, in parallel, uh, I would recommend to continue working or start working with a bigger um, community. Could be a co-working space. Could be a could be a, a, a group uh, enthusiast, whatever. So that you can put together a. a an event, a massive event. When I say massive, it's engineering massive. It's never going to be like thousands of people. It's going to be yeah. somewhere around 50 to 60 engineers. Um, just a quick presentation of some of the things that you learn from the tech leaders. Uh, when we were, the first time when we were starting uh, with Scale Press, 
Uh, there were not a lot of people using JavaScript with uh, React and Node.js at the same time. Uh, we were doing the transition between between one and the other. So a lot of these tech leaders were telling us, like, how are you doing that transition? Like, why, why did you start with that one instead of the other one? Well, because that's that's how we started, right? Like, so sometimes you don't realize that you need something that's more scalable. Uh, things like that. So then we, we thought about topics. The things that these guys were scratching their heads off, that was a topic of some of our uh, conversations uh, with different communities. And that's when we invited people. Like there's a JavaScript JS GDL, uh, that's JavaScript for GDL team that they have like a hundred and something uh, people uh, following each month's event. So we tap into those guys, invite them over. And the topic was very interesting because it was uh, North versus React, things like that. Like, like really will catch their an engineer's attention. And lastly, uh, the team that is going to help you build, the people that are going to help you build the team have to be embedded in these two or three previous steps. If it's a recruiter, the recruiter needs to go and, and learn and listen to the tech leads to see what type of talent they are, how they manage themselves, what will be the interesting thing to approach them. Everybody gets Every engineer gets tons of uh, recruiters' emails, uh, inviting them to take into account uh, these new projects, this new company, this other opportunity. There has to be a compelling reason for them to actually open your email. Uh, the second one, other important people inside of the of the what I call the support team to recruit engineers should be the CEO or CTO, someone with a C-level position. Because it's not the same thing as senior recruiter, IT recruiter from whatever, than the CEO of something. That just because it's the CEO, you know that you're going to be talking with the person that knows, really knows how things are done. And having all those three things in place will enable you to start the conversation with the first few engineers that are going to be your foundation. Uh, based on that, uh, then you have to be more strategic on who is going to be your first. I would say the most important group of engineers are the first four engineers, because those are the ones that people are going to say like, oh, if this guy is there, it must be good. Or if this guy is there, like they're most probably paying them a lot of money, but they're not doing anything. So it has to be very strategic people. But that depends on the company. If it's a support role, well, maybe you need some 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 people dynamic that know what they're they're gonna be here only one year and then they're gonna move to another position because they're gonna uh, finish this up, learn it very fastly, and then move. If it's a product company that's just starting, then it's different because then you need this seasoned engineer, very well respected, uh, that has done something in the past uh, and has a network that can that can help you bring along more engineers. So it, it depends on, on the company, but yeah, the first three steps that I told you, I have found that they're effective in doing so. And um, and I'm, as, as you were saying, I know there's different ways of doing. I, I've, I've tried different ways. I would say this is the ones that have consistently uh, deliver good results. That's awesome. And I think like, touching a little bit on again on your point that you were saying, those far few first few hires. Mm. I agree that they are key and 
And sometimes, you know, folks that are starting growing teams, uh, maybe they already have an, an internal team, but they want to grow an external team. Uh, they sometimes they, they just sort of want to go for just everyone at the same time. Just hire ten, hire twenty. No way. I mean, I, I believe yeah. that it's it, it's sort of like an iterative approach where you start, you, you get in first, those four first four leaders that are going to help you because then they become your ambassadors and then they help you, uh, you know, deal with some issues and then they can become managers themselves. So, uh, you know, understanding that first layer. And also mixing and matching, which is something that I that I would also recommend, and and not bring in all of you know four backend of course, uh, yeah, engineers. No, no. So I just you know distributing them is a great no, approach. Even, even if even if you are looking to create a a backend uh, engineering team, there has to be a lot of balance, right? Like the, there's always someone that is going to be very good at data accessing. There's always going to be someone very good at uh, table crunching. So they have to complement each other. So yes, that's why the first four are even more important because they have to complement each other. They have to be able to, also they have to be very flexible and because uh, they are the first ones, right? And that, that could mean that within weeks they can pivot to something else because the company's just pivoting to something else. So they have to be, I would say, more like a full stack rather than just from their back end. And um, they have to know, they have to have that knowledge of computers themselves instead of just a programming language. Because nobody can build anything just by knowing one single thing. They have to have working knowledge of several other things. And if they complement each other, like someone is a very good at PHP, but also good at something else. Uh, another one, very good at Python, data crunching stuff. Uh CSS and, and front-end stuff. So there's having that combination of different strengths will usually help you uh, tackle most of the of the projects. Uh, hopefully, once you, you started this, there's a clear understanding of what the goal is. That's going to make it a little bit easier to, to hire those first, the first engineers more accurately. But yeah, the, the first few have to be, I would say, more like a computer scientist than actually a software developer engaged with some specific uh, layer of programming. I agree. And from, from a company's perspective, is there something or are there some things that are important to define from the get-go, you know, from an internal standpoint? When you're starting an, an engineer team, engineering team, uh, I think the first thing you have to know, and it has to be extremely clear, as clear as it can be, is the goal. So, I mean, what's the product? What the, what module, library, feature? What what is it that this team is gonna build? What is it that this team is gonna help the company create? Once you have that, then you can start establishing different things. Like, okay, if you want to do this specific product, you need this this type of talent and this type of talent usually needs to have this type of expertise and given their expertise and their talent this is the salary ratio of these people are going to be we're going to be bringing along and this type of ratio and this, this type of salary range usually requires them also to have a career path so we have to understand what uh what we can offer them afterwards, because this is these are the things that people are going to be asking the same the first day. So 
all of this information that I'm telling you that it's a little bit more on the uh, engineering structure comes with a single question of what is the product that we're building? What is the module library? If it's a complete new feature, if it's just a, a support library, if it's automating tests, okay, what, what's, what's the testing that we're automating? What's the framework we're going to be using for automating? Is it going to be mobile or is it going to be web-based or is it just going to be a desktop application? It has to be the goal what we're trying to do, it has to be extremely clear because that's going to define what the team's going to look like, or at least in your understanding what the team should look like. And you're going to be a little bit more accurate than what you're searching for. And with those things in mind, you can start putting structure into it. As I was telling you, the career path, salary range, the the engagement, the, the, the engagement that you need to do how do you engage? It's very different if you engage a support, how you engage a support engineer than a data engineer or a DevOps engineer. Completely different. They are all engineers, they all uh, do programming and stuff. But how do you attract that talent? How do you make the company sexier to one or the other? It depends on the goal, it depends on the task that you want to achieve. And that has to be properly defined, otherwise, you will be just shooting blanks everywhere. And I think companies sometimes forget that part. They're so blindsided about, I want to get it. I, they see it, but they don't communicate it. They're like, I need to get this team because they're going to do this. But then they say to their internal team, Hey, go, go get me these guys. And they're like, okay, but, but you know, let me, let me, let me in on, on all the details so I can properly figure that out. And, and, and from our particular experience, and, and I would say, you know, 50 to 60% of the work is done before you ever start hiring someone. Mm. If you put those you know, first stones in and, and those mm. first bricks, that foundation, you can properly start building a team because it'll then, if you don't, if you don't do that, then you have to roll back and say, okay, then we, we mishired. We mm. shouldn't have hired them. So now you lost money. You lost time. Lost and time. and you have to go back and you have to start learning. So and, it's, and you also you also tainted your reputation, right? Because now, sure. if these were good engineers, they're gonna they're gonna talk to to their peers and say like, like, don't even go close to this company because they don't even know what they are doing. And you also miss the opportunity to have a better impact. The first impact is always gonna be the better impact, even if down the road you realize that you screwed up, blah blah. But the first the first few months, the way that you handle the company and the and the projects the brain teasers that the engineers are tackling, if they are really excited about that, you don't even have to do marketing. They're just going to go and talk to their to, 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 to their friends and family and they're going to say, like, this is the best company because I'm doing ABIC. Down the road, you can say, like, well, we're going to modify this a little bit or, or split over the, the team because right now we need someone, a, a team usually... This has always happened. Usually, have to split the team uh, on the finance part, like the, the, the group that works on the part where you charge or where you handle money or credit cards or Stripe or whatever. Usually, have to break it apart because there's sensitive information or personal information, etc. So you start moving around people. But yeah, the first the first one is is very important, as, as you were properly saying. It's going to cost money. It's going to cost time. And for a startup company, for most of the companies, time is 
something extremely valuable. And reputation, I think that's also something very important. I agree. Now, in your eyes, who should be involved in the decision-making process when hiring people? I think the whole team. Uh, I think uh, directors and managers need to be there. Uh, I usually recommend them to be the first. I like to split this over into uh, who who review, reviews what. I think managers are very good at reviewing motivators. If some people have to have the right motivators to work with you. If they're just looking for another paycheck, there's plenty of paychecks, especially for software engineers, anywhere. They have to be excited about this specific company or this specific project because of something. Could be a technology, could be the people involved, could be the, the markets they're, they're, they're servicing to, could be that uh, there's uh, a variety of applications, like there's mobile, iOS, Android, and web, and blah, blah, blah. They have to be excited about something that is, un- if not unique, that it's very meaningful for, for the company. And also, managers have to look into the cultural fitness. Is this someone that can, that's going to create, could be an excellent engineer, but it's going to be a, a back office engineer that no one wants to talk to him? There could be, there, I, I, I've brought some uh, engineers to, 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 to work on different companies with me with those skills, but knowing so, like I was being the manager is taking those risks uh, with obviously some consideration on how it can impact or how it can help and uh, overseeing that it actually helps more than impact anything. Uh, then the, the more senior people, leaders, architects, senior software engineers, they need to be there uh, reviewing the level of skills of the person. Uh, sometimes you want to bring along uh, junior people, right? Like you, you you want to review that they have proper foundations, like the strong algorithms. Uh, they're very strong in data access, in, in databases. Uh, or no, maybe it's someone that just have an open mind and it's very open to, to learn and they can actually learn really easily. And lastly, uh, peers. Someone that is at this, that's going to be the peer of this person uh, needs to be part of the interview because this person can assess if this they, they are the ones that know how complicated it is to be waking up at one o'clock in the morning because something broke. And uh, this person needs to be in contact with those guys, the, the guys that actually wake up and they, they, they should be frank enough and open enough and say like, if you like uh, coffee and sleeping and... Uh, and uh, this is not for you. <laughs> exactly. Or if you like exactly partying or, or, or going around or doing some sexy code, well, maybe this is not the company. So they, they also need to say, like, this is where I see this person coming or bringing to the table. Uh, at the end of the day, as, as, as usual, there's someone has to take make the decision. And usually it's the manager because that's the person that's going to have the responsibility to make this person successful or dismiss this person. Uh, But everybody has to be involved in the process and everybody has to be given the opportunity to give their insights. Yeah. And this question, when I, when I talk to folks, it's, there's always a different answer. Mm -hmm. Everyone has, there's just a bunch of of different aspects that you can bring into the equation. I I don't think there's a perfect formula for it, but I I do think that, that what you, what you're mentioning is, is good because you cover all the different areas. Mm. So 
So that that's that's pretty awesome. Now, when thinking about teams, and, and this is another one of those questions that I've always asked myself. So <laughs> I'm always saying, okay, cool. Now I got started with the first layer, folks. Mm. But now how do you scale? You know, are there specific growth milestones or are there specific just because, you know, the, the C-levels ask for it? You know, do you, what are some specific growth milestones that you look at before hiring more folks or restructuring the team? Mm. Yeah, well, one of the better indications that I've found is the completion ratio. Once you start seeing that the team consistently is completing their stories in an early time or, or even on the opposite, they're, they're never hitting their, their, their mark, that means that the, the, the team is not well balanced. That means uh, that that's when you then have to go and look into the story complexity. How complex are the stories? So we need to break them down into smaller stories or they're granular enough that it's something in the team instead of the stories. Um, so the completion rate, you, you should always have, in, any manager should always have in front of their, their, their eyes the performance of the team through the, through, through the last sprints, at least I would say as much sprints as you can have at least a year. Because then you can see and you can graph it. You can see the consistency. If, 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 the, if the goals is here and you have always been here, you don't have the proper talent or the complexity of the stories are extremely high. Complexity of the story is something very simple to modify, right? You just break them down into smaller tasks, yeah. give them more time. And if, if then you're still not able to modify the completion ratio, then it's a talent that you have. Then you have to restructure the talents. Uh, another good indication is mentoring. Uh, you have to have a lot of constant and close communication with people. Uh, people need to share their knowledge. There's always going to be someone that knows something better than anybody else. The idea is that everybody has at least some sort of uh, working knowledge of everything that everybody else is doing. If you know that there's mentoring happening and that there's people sharing their knowledge and there's people understanding that knowledge and you're still not able to hit those uh, complex stories, then you don't have enough talent or the proper talent to, to, to tackle them. Uh, if you're about to use uh, Kafka and nobody has used it, well, then it's very simple, right? But if you've already been using certain framework and still you're not able to uh, reduce the response time, then you need someone that has already done that. Uh, you need a specific talent that knows how that framework or, that, or this other implementation has been successful to hit those uh, marks that you want to. And then that's when you start thinking about, well, maybe it's, it's time to bring someone new, uh, some more senior people, uh, more specific talent, or send over someone to a boot camp or some sort of uh, training so that they can actually absorb some new, uh, some new knowledge and bring it over to the team. But that will obviously require you to, to modify the structure of the team. But those will be the, the, the three more important aspects that I usually look for. There's some other aspects like uh, burn down. You can see like if, because sometimes they are finishing their story. They are tackling a good ratio of complex stories with small stories and they're sharing the knowledge. 
but they're extremely exhausted, right? So that's when you also realize like we are asking them to do too much. They are delivering, but this is unsustainable. Let's just yeah. restructure the team. That's yeah. that's on the better part, right? So the worst part will be that uh, they are not hitting the, comp- the completion rate. They are not. Their stories are as simple as they can get, and uh, everybody has shared the knowledge that they have, and they're still not able to do it. Then there's 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 more management involved in there. That it's I would say actually bringing an, another set of folks that can help out with more than it looks like. I like that. I like I like the structured approach. Very engineering like. <laughs> <laughs> and. What's what would you say the timeline would be from growing a team from zero to ten to or fifteen people? You know, just average. How much? How how long will it take to build that team? Uh, on a perfect world, I would say a year, nine months to to, to twelve months. I would say on a perfect world because that means that these people are not going to be distracted. They have enough time. I would say at least 90 days to really ramp up and understand the technology and being able to deliver. Most of the times and most of the metrics that I have found is that people are considered to be productive until the sixth month. Uh, I would say if you really push them uh, on the third month, you can start getting, uh, getting some specific work out of more senior people. Junior people will take you a little bit longer. So after six, if you are considering between three and six months that they are, fully operational, uh, then having just another three months for maturity is a little bit uh, small. That's why I would say maybe 12, 12 months because then you have another six months of really understanding and blossoming, like really applying what you what you bring to the table into what you now understand the product is. In those six months, you can modify a lot of things. Um, at that time, after those 12 months, you can make decisions like this is an independent team this is an independent group or this yeah. person we can we can bring this person and start uh mentoring or start uh teaching this person to become the next leader of this group and he's going to take care of this group but now you have some working knowledge of in six six to nine months you have seen this person take at least two or three good decisions uh at least i would say four or five big problems um most of the time, and this depends on the company, but at least one release within a year, you should always have at least one for release. So you, uh, you, you're certain that he knows at least once the whole end-to-end software development cycle, from planning to developing to going back to QA, testing, sandboxing, uh, delivering it. Uh, so it is, it is a proper amount in my experience. That doesn't mean that there's companies that can do it faster. Uh, especially if the, if the team still, uh, if you keep it small, you, you're yeah. usually more, more. They're more flexible and more, and they're faster. Yeah. If you're, if you, if the if the team is on the bigger side, it will take a little bit more because there's a lot more going on. You are achieving more, but you are moving slower. So that means the time is going to take longer. You got it. Yeah. So that's the factor. Sort of like the. By size and time as well as, you know, effort. So it's the, the, the typical, you know, three things that you have to choose to, right? So, mm-hmm. and I mean, we talked about frameworks, we talked about management styles, but are there any, you know, specific processes that you use that you've seen work for managing engineering teams, specific engineering teams? 
Yes, yes, I have some of some of the ones are very simple. I think most of the people do. Uh, I have found that 30, 60, and 90 day review is extremely good. Uh, there is you you do sit down with with each individual and just tell them like under 30 day review, 60 day review, 90 day review, if they are hitting the mark or not. And you go uh, in detail on uh, code simplicity, uh, amount of bugs, um, documentations, things like that. And you and you don't have to grade them. You just have to say it's uh, it's satisfying or it's not satisfying. It's, it's under the expectation or, or or it's below the expectations or above expectations. And that way they, they're gonna be modifying, especially the the first 30, 60 days. People are very excited because they're new to the company. So they really yeah. want to understand what the company is about. Uh, so by the 90 day mark, they should be on, everything should be uh, above expectation. That means that this person is going to be good. Nothing is perfect. Obviously something can happen down the road, but it's it's more prone to be better. Uh, the body system. Uh, the body system is something that I learned in a company I worked in the North Carolina they usually assign you a person of the team that is going to be shadowing you in everything that you do so that any question that you have, you can, you know who to turn to, to ask for, uh, from simple things like where's the coffee in the bathroom to where's the code, what's, what's the name of the repository? Do I create a, a local image or everything has to be done remote? Uh, where is the, every, every company has their, the best practice, uh, Dropbox paper or, or Google Sheet or whatever. Where is that information? Where I can get it? Uh, I want to ask for vacations. Do you think it's too early? Is the manager approachable or not approachable? The body will be the person that will hand you over all the information in a very simple way. I have seen it work very nicely, but I do have seen it go a little bit south if that if the body in that specific moment is distracted. I, uh, one person was, uh, his wife was uh, pregnant and it was a high risk pregnancy. So he was very, very distracted. Uh, so he was the body of this new hire and the hire was not completely neglected, but he was, he didn't know who to turn to, to ask for questions. The third one is uh, pair programming. I, I see that for a lot of people it's very uncomfortable. And it's not because you're sitting next to each other, because most of the time you don't sit, sit to next next to each other. You just share your screen. But people feel that they're just looking into what you do. And some people do go to Stack Overflow, copy-paste something similar, and then start modifying it. That's 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 okay as long as the final product is good. So they feel a little bit uh monitor, like a big brother monitor. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, they also especially if the peer that they are programming with, it's easy going, they will know that both. That's something that everybody everybody has done. Uh, you don't, there's nothing you have to feel ashamed of. Or if you copy paste a function and you just use it as a, as a framework, it's okay. Uh, but most of the time, uh, those peers will let you know what are the things that they usually do that actually work. Instead of going to Stack Overflow, the, like the one that you Google, uh, some companies have a local stack overflow where most of the questions are answered uh, inside of the company. So you can go there. Or uh, if you are very used to BI or Emacs, that it's very old uh, 
go very very old programming uh, environments. Some other folks are going to tell you, no, 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 this one, this environment's much better because you can integrate A, B, and C and that. Uh, some other folks will say, like, no, I love Notepad because you can write anywhere in the world. You didn't have to have an internet connection. So those those little things only a peer can give you. Uh, then leaders code review. I found that at the beginning for the new folks, the leaders should be doing the code review. Afterwards, and then, then you send it over to the team and everybody in the team will review it. But leaders usually are the ones that are more jealous about doing things right. So they will be very, very meticulous on you're not leaving enough space. The comments are off. Uh, these, our standards are a camelback instead of a underscore. Little things that functioning things will function, but you're not using the, the, the code or the structure of the company is actually using. Or maybe that's unique to, the, to that team, but that person is going to be on that team and he has to embrace the, the customs of the team. And finally, uh, QA sit down. I have found that to be extremely good. QA depends on who does QA. If, if every single engineer does the, its own QA, that's, I would recommend not to do that, but some companies do that. Uh, then there's there's no there's no one you, you have to sit down with. But if you have a proper QA team, QA would tell you what are the common things that they look for because they usually know that the team struggles in doing them. Uh, some teams are extremely good at presenting things very nicely uh, or following the, the the happy path. But once you move away from the happy path, things are going to go south. And QA knows that. So they, they actually jump directly into uh, let's do stress testing or let's 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 do a million clicks on this one. They know they know what the team usually uh, fails to pay attention to. So they're gonna they're gonna see that it actually works. And if you see it, well, you're doing peer review with someone on the team, then you're doing code review with someone on the team. So you can now need an external advisor. So that fresh set of eyes let you see things that the other people are not going to see because they are part of the of, of of that team, right? You need a, you need another perspective, and QA usually gives you another perspective. I like and that. Like, mm -hmm. And finally, uh, I think also to they they should be able to speak freely with someone that is not on the organization. Okay. If it's an engineer, they should be able to approach, or should have just a, a quick sit down. Uh, well, at least once a month with another manager from another division. Um, they will give, obviously, a completely different approach of everything. It's not going to be engineer-related, but it's going to be company-related. And most of the time, some of those folks also have to work in some sort with engineers, and they're going to complain about things, and they're going to say, please don't do this that engineers usually do. And, and that's that's good feedback. That's a different feedback. And this person is going to grow. It's going to be a better engineer just because someone was able to tell that on an early stage rather than later. I can appreciate that. Yeah, because I think that's, you know, being able to in the in the in the first stages of their engagement to to really sort of like it's sort of like hand holding mm -hmm. and, and and it'll it'll pay big dividends down the line. And I, I'm a fair, I'm a firm believer that 
really investing time in those moments, in those two, maybe four weeks, I don't know, depending on the onboarding process that you know each company has, spending that a good amount of time there and be very mindful about that. It helps. It helps them feel welcome. It helps them feel part of the organization. It helps them understand what's going on. Because there sometimes, and again, I don't want to be, I'm going to go back to remote work as well, but, you know, being the new guy and they usually don't ask. That's where I wanted to go. They don't ask. They're afraid to ask and having these, these processes in place and maybe the documentation and maybe the, the, the essence of how they will be working really detailed will help that person you know, know where to turn to during those moments of uncertainty. And, and it's, it's interesting. And I guess for my next question is it's, and this is my, my second to last question, <laughs> you know, engaging with the engineering teams, what's, what practices do you, do you use? Um, well, first, there, there needs to be a complete trust on what we're doing and how things are doing. So most of the time, I would say communication and transparency. There, we have to be, uh, in order for an engineer to trust you, you have to be able to deliver things, to commit to things and deliver to things. There's no way you can commit to things if no one is bringing to your attention anything. So that's communication. The trust is built upon delivering. But communication is the foundation. People have to be able to, to approach you and to definitely bring something uh, that they, most of the time it's not going to be a big deal because they're just testing waters. Uh, and you should, as a manager, you should be able to say, yes, we can do this and I'm going to give it to you on a specific day. Uh, second, it's also okay to tell them it's okay to say no, you know, like, some, most of the times, especially for, for new people arriving, they don't want to say no because they want to see, be seen as someone that is uh, running away from work. They want to be the ones, it's the jazz guy, right? Like, can you do this? Yes. Can you do that? Yes. Or, 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 or junior managers as well. Junior managers also tend to say yes to everything because they want to show that they can be, that they are worth of the manager position. So we, so, embedding the culture of it's okay to say no, just give me a proper reason. It's not because I don't want to. No, no, no. has to be a reason. No, because this technology is obsolete. Because uh, down the road, in three months, we're going to have to change it because the framework is changing. Things like that make sense. Uh, but that starts on communication. And we have to be able to find the talent that it's, uh, it's well communicated. Or that you can see that they can communicate because when you ask them about something that they're passionate about, that doesn't really mean that they are explaining code. Um, for example, if someone is extremely passionate about uh, grilling, cooking, and you ask them about like, how do you put together the best steak in whole Texas? Uh, they're going to, and they really flourish, like they really change the way that they even the, the position they are sitting in and they start really engaging. That's That means that they're just shy. They just they they are, they have not been able to communicate with you because they see you as maybe an authority or someone that's going to judge them, or because they are the new guy and they don't want to show them their weaknesses. Then you know that you can you can foster a relationship of communication, and whenever you tear down that wall, this person is going to bring you everything that it's on their mind, and obviously he's going to grow, you're going to grow, the team's going to be better. Okay. 
And also, uh, undoubtedly, uh, engaging with engineers requires also uh, time, meaning I usually, this is something my wife doesn't like, but I'm usually <laughs> picking up the phone at whatever time, in the, at night, in the morning, whatever, I like to be there for them. Uh, it, as I told you, my wife doesn't like it because there's there's been times that they're, they're, they're out for drinks and they... they uh, two o'clock in the morning, they think it's a it's a good idea for for them to call me to join them, wherever they are, because uh, it's not that late, you know. Uh, but some other times they do call me and say like something happened, this guy fell, or our computer was stolen, or I was in a car accident, stuff like that. That it's something that, that I do want to help them. Uh, so uh, being available for them whenever they whenever they need, at least well, no, it has to be consistent. But at the beginning, when, when you're creating the, the confidence, you have to be there. Uh, maybe down the, down the road, you can let them know, well, right now it's not the best moment uh, because I'm not even in Guadalajara. Uh, but I can help you or, or, or ping this person or ping another person. Uh, but yes, at, at the beginning, you have to be available to them because they, they need guidance. And that's why the body system usually works very well because instead of going to the manager, they will go with a peer that doesn't feel that conflict of of, of authority. But I'm I'm calling because I, I got in an accident, but it's three o'clock in the morning. I shouldn't. It's a Monday. I shouldn't be out. Like you know, things like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's always those things that you know. As well, they also bring you together a team because you're. Yes. You know, those things happen in some sort of work. And then when you, when we break that, that work boundary, it also becomes more of a, you feel more cohesive as teams, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, thinking about it, 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 it brings me back to, you know, I read the autobiography of Steve Jobs way mm -hmm. back in the day when it, mm -hmm. when it came out. But I remember very, very vividly reading the part where, where they, they had the small office and they were pirates of some sorts. I can't remember exactly the same details of the, of, of the, all the details of the story, but they were pirates and then they would go and just sort of like, uh, together and attack to, to, to say the other, the other team that was in another location. And that was sort of like their own mission. And those brought them together and those made them, you know, be, be more, a team, a cohesive team, besides just so just writing code and just sending that code away, releasing it. So I, I think it's part of the whole experience and, and the fun of doing the work and the fun of being in engineering and the fun of building teams. And and I've enjoyed a lot this conversation. I think it's it, there's a lot of a lot of wisdom that 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 you've you've gathered over the years and that you you really bring to the table and you understand exactly how to move the pieces around of, of building an engineering team that that are very very insightful mm -hmm. and and i mean we're before before ending you know our our talk today i want to thank you for your time i want to thank you for for sharing this with us it's been like i said very insightful and and I know that this this is going to help a lot of folks that are out there thinking about building remote teams or about the, uh, or or engineering teams or or just enhancing their engineering teams. Mm. And just to close up with one last question, you know, to those to those companies, might that be you know small, medium, or large, and to those engineering managers that are thinking about building teams, about the building teams uh, elsewhere or building teams, you know, at a different location that where the HQ is, what would be 
your recommendation for them? Well, the first one is do so. There is no, there, there is not a single thing that you can do that is not going to work because you've already done it. Um, uh, the intuition that gives you the idea of what the product is and how it's working, the, the, especially if you're talking to the CEO or CTO, they already had the idea of, 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 of a great product. Or if you're working for a company that has a great product, a great, great features, uh, you already, you've already done the more complicated part that is putting that idea. Finding the talent to follow that idea is ubiquitous. It has, it, it can happen anywhere. There is a lot of people and a lot of talent that can be accessed when you work remotely, when you allow them to work remotely. Even, in, even your own engineers that you already have now could be even more productive or happier if they go back to their hometowns uh, as long as they have a proper broadband. Uh, they can work from there and they can be effective and they can be close to family and friends and their traditions and stuff. And, and you're still going to keep the, the best part of them that is engineering part. Uh, remote teams also reflect that you care about people. And most of the co companies are people working together for a common goal. So people are the essence of the companies. If you care about people, people are going to care back to the company and everybody's going to win. So also allowing remote work will reflect on the human side of the company that is not only focused on, as we have all discussed, uh, of having a great exit or having a successful company or a, or, or a little IPO or being the unicorn that everybody wants to be one. Uh, it also creates an environment that people will cherish to be a part of despite being successful or not. And that's, that's usually, that's usually what engineers are going to tell other engineers. They will tell like this technology is awesome. This, this, uh, this product is amazing. It's how could this guy, uh, think about this, but what they will remember more is how you make them feel while working with them. I felt empowered. I was free to do things. I was able to poke holes in here. I screw up so many times that they didn't fire me. They helped me outgrow. I, I had my better, uh, my, my better ex working experiences with these guys. That's, I think that the things are going to make a lot of engineers say like, Oh, maybe it's time to, to, to look at these guys and see if we can we can work together. That's awesome. That's pretty cool. I like that. I like that as a closing note. And and it's it's been very awesome to be able to speak with you and, and learn from you as well. And and hopefully we can have a, a follow-up conversation later down the line because I think there's a lot there's a lot of a lot of things that, that we can talk about that that you know given the time constraints we were unable to mm -hmm. but it's been awesome. Thank you very much. And, and we've learned a lot about management. We've learned a lot about engineering management. We've learned about as well, uh, you know, how to grow teams, how, how to look at different specific things like, like you were mentioning to, to know when it's time to grow and when's a good time. So for that, thank you very much, Javier. It was a pleasure having you. It was a pleasure having this conversation and we look forward for the next one. No problem, because it was anytime. That was Javier Coca's interview. But this does not end here. We have prepared an ebook with tools based on Javier Coca and other experts' tips to help you structure an onboarding process that creates high performance teams. Get it at codersling.com or check out the link in the podcast description. 
for now. This has been The Hiring Brief.